There's a study done a number of years ago about loneliness in the UK, in that country. And at least in that country, it found that there were uh, over 800,000 people who were chronically lonely, especially among older adults. It found that 11% of older people interacted with family, friends, or neighbors less than once a month, less than once a month. And this was before everyone was forced to be isolated uh, from each other. And then it went, in, went on to list all of the health problems associated uh, that, that come from simply being alone. It actually called loneliness a societal epidemic. It's maybe kind of weird to think about today uh, when no one is really isolating by choice. We're all forced to whether we like it or not. But in our gospel lesson today, one of Jesus' disciples is actually purposefully isolating himself by his own choice. And remember, at this point, there are only 11 disciples. Uh, by this time, uh, Judas has already committed suicide and, and is no longer with them. And so there's 11 disciples. Well, 10 of them are together. And they're all in a room uh, together behind locked doors because they are afraid of the Jews. The Jews have already killed their leader and master, Jesus. And, and in all likelihood, they think, well, they're next. The Jews are going to come after them next. And I've always had the impression that the disciples are, are, are simply just huddling together and hiding. But it's really quite amazing that they're actually all together, at least the ten of them. Any kid on the playground who, who's playing hide-and-seek will tell you it's not a good thing uh, to hide in a big massive group of people. If you, if you don't want to be found, you want to hide alone. What the disciples are most likely doing is that they're worshiping. They're praying. They've come together uh, to comfort and console each other with God's word. And they've all probably got some doubts going through scripture, asking themselves, did we, did we miss something here? Uh, for sure, they all have regrets. They know that they all bailed on Jesus in his hour of trial. And all of a sudden, Jesus stands among them. And he says, peace be with you. He doesn't rail on them for their failures, but he comforts them with his peace. He forgives them. He gives them peace. And they rejoice. But there's one disciple who is conspicuously absent, Thomas. And it doesn't seem to be the case that Thomas was, was just simply off somewhere getting toilet paper or something. Thomas knows Jesus is dead, and he wants to get on with his life. He wants to throw in the towel. He's left the fellowship of the disciples. He doesn't want to be with them as they pray or as they worship. He's over with it. And he wants to get on with his faith. He wants to do his faith on his own, go at his faith alone. And that has led him to unbelief. Because when the other disciples tell him that they have seen Jesus, Thomas doesn't just say, well, are, are you sure you saw him? But he says, unless I see the nail marks in the prints, I will never believe. 
Thomas' journey illustrates something keenly felt in our society today and something very important about faith. Because a lot of people will say, well, well, I can go about faith on my own. I can find Jesus in nature. I can find God on the golf course when they're open. But that's not true. You may think you found Jesus in nature when things are going well, but what happens when you get lost and a bear attacks? Nature testifies something. Of course, you can, you, you can look up in the stars and, and, and there is no doubt that there is a God. Nature can testify that God is powerful, but it cannot tell you whether or not God is good. This world cannot tell you, as Jesus himself told the disciples, peace be with you. A bear will not tell you you're forgiven. In fact, in this world, if, if experience tells us anything right now, it's the exact opposite of peace that this world testifies. And if we go at faith on our own, eventually we'll be left to think that God is a God who doesn't care. Because all we see around us are things that cannot show love. We need the fellowship of believers, not just for companionship. We need believers to put in our ears the loving promises of God and to wash us with the blood of Christ in baptism and to put on our tongues Christ's own body and blood which lovingly forgive us our sins. We can't do any of these things on our own. Like newborn babes who are completely reliant on their mother, we need to be fed by our mother, the church, with the means of grace. And it's these means of grace which testify to us of God's love. God has appointed baptism, his word, and the Lord's Supper to show us Jesus, to show us God's forgiveness, God's love. The ten disciples, this, this little congregation, show this love amazingly. After Jesus had given them his peace, he told them, just as the Father sent me, I am also sending you. And he said, whenever you forgive people's sins, they are forgiven. And that's exactly what the disciples did. That's exactly what they go do. They don't give up on their friend. Our text says they, they keep telling him that they had seen Jesus, that Jesus was alive. Even after Thomas has ridiculed them and basically said, you're all stupid for still believing that, the ten do not give up. In fact, they, they bring him to church next week. And, and interestingly, they expect Jesus to be there. One week later, they again gather uh, on the Sunday after Easter. They're again together. And they make sure Thomas is with them. And they say, you need to see Jesus. And Jesus is there. So the doors are locked again. Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you he said. And Jesus invites Thomas to, 
to see the proof that it's really him. Put your finger here and, and look at my hands. Put your hand here and, and look at my side. Do not continue to doubt, but believe. The scars of Jesus are the most beautiful sign of love in the world. Because it means that, that after I've tried and after I've failed in, in building my own trust and faith into what my hands and feet can do and, and selfishly thinking what I can do, it means that Jesus' hands and feet have done everything for me. And for everything I've done wrong, for every sin, every failure, Jesus gives me peace. He grants me forgiveness. He shows me his love. Every once in a while, a visitor will stop by church, and they'll ask a question or advice or something. And the first thing I do is I take them here in our sanctuary, and I show them our statue of the risen Jesus extending out his hands. And I tell them that if you look closely, you can see the nail prints in Jesus' hands and feet. I love this statue. It's the perfect focal point of a congregation named faith. Jesus' scars are the proof of our faith. But maybe we think that, well, I can't see Jesus' hands and feet. Jesus doesn't come and stand in a room with me. Jesus doesn't literally say to me, peace be with you. But I want you to notice something about Thomas. Thomas doesn't examine Jesus' hands and feet. At least the way John records it is that after simply hearing Jesus' words, Thomas confessed, my Lord and my God. Thomas' faith wasn't rekindled or made alive because he saw Jesus' hands and feet. He didn't believe because he saw a miracle. His faith was rekindled from Jesus' words. And that is exactly what you have. You have Jesus' words. Words that he has written down so that you may believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And God connects his promise, his word, to real physical things. John says in his epistle that the spirit, the water, and the blood all testify of Jesus. And they testify not only that God is powerful, but that God is good. And that not only does he love you and save you, but that he abides with you through these real physical things. We need the real fellowship of believers. We need the real body and blood of Jesus. We need the real refreshing waters of baptism. We need to hear the real words of Jesus. These means of grace are Jesus' hands and feet and side for us. The water in baptism is straight from Jesus' side, from the water 
that flowed from Jesus' side when he died. The blood in the Lord's Supper is the same blood that Jesus shed on the cross in his, in his hands and feet. It's the same blood. Jesus shows to us today his hands and feet and side. He gives you real things. Because you and I go through real things. You and I suffer real hardships. And right now, we may hear the voice of Jesus speaking through recordings and digital media, through Zoom conversations with your friends. But the Jesus who walks through locked doors has no problem coming to you in this way. Jesus, who we have not seen, comes to us and he speaks to us his word that does what it says. Peace be with you. And as you hear Jesus' word spoken to you, Jesus is there in your midst. He is really there. The word spoken by your pastor or by a friend or family member is just as real and living and powerful as Jesus. So come, see Jesus. See Jesus in his words of peace. Through these, Jesus awakens faith in our hearts, the faith to trust him in the middle of an epidemic, and moves us to, to respond to his word as Thomas did, and confess, my Lord and my God. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.